Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Jimmy Emmons, a grower from Leedy, Oklahoma. Jimmy will be giving us a sneak peek of his upcoming presentation at the 2021 National Cover Crop Summit. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy. Hey, sir. How are you today? <laughs> Doing well. Glad to be here. Uh, Jimmy, why don't you give our, uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I'm a fourth-generation farmer, three generations here on the home place where my granddad came in uh, 1926. Uh, we have about 1,580 acres now of production land, farm ground, and about, I would say about 7,000 acres of range land. We've, we've cut back a little bit. And then we have, a, uh, of course, a pretty good cow-calf herd uh, to go with that. So, uh, and my wife, Ginger, and I, and then we have one full-time employee, Carson Leibold, on the operation. So we're pretty efficient on uh, labor and stuff here. So that's a kind of a little glimpse in of what, what the operation kind of looks like. And then I know we'll talk more specifics as we go forward. Yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about the how many acres you have and, and what kind of uh, cover crops you grow um, on your operation. Okay, so like I said, we have about 1,580-some acres of, of crop land, and we try to keep cover crops in between the cash crops on every acre that we can. Uh, sometimes Mother Nature here doesn't allow that. This past summer, we were extremely, extremely dry, and some of the covers that we even had planted um, perished, but most of them lived through, and then we wound up grazing them later in the season when we did capture some rain. So we, we try to have them uh, warm season mixes behind cereal grains, uh, and then once we do our fall crops of beans and corn and peas and different things like that, then we'll plant a cool season uh, mix uh, with cereal rye and that. And it depends on the timing, uh, how diverse that mix is uh, due to weather. And, and like I said, if it's late fall, uh, that becomes more challenging. So kind of a little glimpse of, sure. of some of the things that we're doing. Okay. So how long have you all been using cover crops? And what really motivated you to get started using covers? So we started in 2010. Um, and I had listened to David Brandt from Carroll, Ohio, uh, speak at the National Association of Conservation Districts annual 
national meeting. And uh, it really inspired me to think out of the box and see if we could do that here in Western Oklahoma. So I came home and um, started moving forward with that. And I knew that there would be big challenges in the narrative environment to do that. And so I reached out to uh, my state conservationist, Gary O'Neill, and, and our state uh, conservation commission, executive trade uh, Lamb and the conservation districts. Uh, I was president at the time. Uh, our executive director Sarah Blaney uh, to ask them if if I would offer up my farm as a demonstration farm, if we could put a team together so that we could watch water use and 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 try to get capture some data uh, as we started implementing cover crops and and you know prove to me and prove to everybody around here that they would really work and so we'd have good data and everybody agreed and and so we planted our first uh cover crop in in late uh 2010 and then in 2011 we started ramping up uh even more and uh, then we started grazing cover crops uh the following year of that uh, and, and we done a little in 2011 grazing but not much just kind of uh, tinkered with it a little bit, try to figure it out. Okay. How long did it take you to fully transition to using cover crops on all of your acres? You know, it's probably about year three and four. We started small with one field uh, and done side-by-side -side comparisons in year one and two. And then year three, my state soil scientists said, you know, we need to be utilizing grazing and and need to do rotational grazing. And so we, we sampled with that uh, that year. That was a, a big move for us because we'd never done anything like that. And uh, immediately I saw the benefit. And uh, so that we that really helped us to, to move forward. And in that same year, we were doing water evaluations how much water the cover crops would be using or how much we could be saving uh, with cover crops. And as that data started to coming out, uh, I, I, I knew I was on the right track and uh, I've never looked back. And actually, uh, every time that we've measured that, we've been water ahead uh, at the end of the season where we use cover crops versus uh, not using cover crops. So that was a huge selling point uh, to me and uh, several other producers around and and uh, you know in an arid environment you you have to be worried about water use and and uh, that was good data to capture for us to share with people for sure so as you were making that transition and and then taking it the next step into grazing what challenges did you encounter along the way and, and how did you manage those? Well, the biggest challenge is always between your two ears and uh, that, that mindset of we've always done it that way. We've, we've just got to ditch that. And, and I fought that early on too, because it was, you know, way out of the box, way out of the comfort level for us to start that. But how you overcome it is, to look at the bottom line and, and to look at, at your soil and see the changes and know that you're, you know, improving uh, the soil and the biology and, and 
and all that comes with time, I realized, but immediately I could see that there was great benefits. And, and then, like I said, in year two, when we saw uh, water savings with cover crops through the summer months, uh, I knew I was on the right track. And so that really helped me overcome a lot of my stigmas and, and, and challenges myself. And, uh, you know, you just, you got to make your mind up that I want to try to make this work instead of just saying, well, I'll try it and see what happens. Because I've seen a lot of producers that said, we'll see what happens. And if they have a little failure or mother nature doesn't work their way, they blame it on the cover crops and they're done. But the guys that, that says, you know, let's figure this out, learn from it and adapt and move forward. Uh, they make it work. And, and that's the strategy I try to use. Okay. So uh, you've mentioned a couple times that, you know, saving water in an, a dry land environment is, is really important. What are some of your other goals for using cover crops other than that water savings? You know, we, we try to have three different outcomes for each seed that we plant. Um, we want to uh, help the biology free up nutrients, whether that be planting a, a legume or planting something like a buckwheat that would uh, secrete a little acid into the soil from their roots that would free up some phosphorus. Uh, so that would be one outcome. We love flowering uh, species, multiple colors of flowers to help attract beneficial insects, uh, pollinator bees and whatnot. And then, you know, number three is cover on the ground and armor uh, to keep things shaded, to keep it protected, uh, to help catch snow in the winter times. So th them three outcomes is very important for me when I'm selecting seeds and, and trying to put a mix together. Okay. So how do you choose which cover crop species to include in your mixes? And um, how do you determine what mix you put on which field um, to advance your those cover crop goals? So that's that's really in, in a good question and an important question. And it, and it comes down to what, what my goal is. So if I'm harvesting as a cereal uh, crop and I want to plant a warm season mix, I want lots of diversity in that and so we may have 15 different 16 species in that of, of grasses and brassicas and legumes uh, out of that uh, if i'm going into a a winter or cool season mix for instance if i've had a a high residue high carbon crop like corn or grain sorghum uh, then i'm more uh apt to maybe put, go a little lower carbon to nitrogen ratio in my mixes. But by the same token, if I'm going behind soybeans that has used a lot of carbon, then I'll, I'll need a high carbon crop to keep that balance in there. And that's one of the real key things is understanding your carbon to nitrogen ratio. And in, in our cover crop mixes, we, we normally are around 25 to 1 give or take. And, and like I said, it depends on the goals and uh, what you're following or what you're going in front of. And, and that, that varies a lot. And so as we're selecting mixes uh, for them blends, 
I look at them species and see what they can provide me. For instance, if I need the high carbon, you know, I'm going to put more grasses in there, less legumes in that mix. So it's kind of a learning process, but it's a really neat challenge. And, and once you kind of start figuring it out, it's really pretty simple. Okay. So talk about uh, where you source your cover crop seed from. So I use green cover seed out of Bladen, Nebraska, almost exclusively. And I, I grow some uh, cover crops for them. I, I've used other companies as well, uh, like Kaufman Seed uh, in Kansas as well and, and others. But probably green cover seed is my main uh, sourcing spot. And like I said, I grow a lot of seeds for them. And so uh, we have a pretty good working relationship. Okay. And so what method do you use then to seed your cover crops? So we, we use an air seeder drill, a disc drill uh, to seed, well, everything except uh, when we have corn or soybeans and then I hire a neighbor to with a planter to plant them. But uh, most everything is planted with the air seeder disc system. Okay. Um, do you, have you had any experience planting green into the cover crops? Yeah, we, we, we've done some of that. Um, once again, when you're in an arid environment, that's even more challenging, especially if you're in a, a dry year, it's, it's hard to let them cover crops go into reproductive mode or, or get, uh, more mature because you're using, uh, a lot more water when they go into reproductive mode. And so it's harder to do that. On wet years, we can. Uh, on dry years, we, we'll have to terminate them early to save some water to, to move forward. Um, and that's the great thing about cover crops. If you're in an arid environment, you can plant less population. You can terminate earlier. And there's lots of ways to terminate. You can you know, use roller crimping. But if if you're doing that in, in mature crops, that doesn't work very well. You, you can use cattle to trample it, or you can use some chemical uh, if you have to. Uh, but we try to stay away from a lot of that uh, if, we, if we can, but uh, sometimes it, you have to use a tool that's in the toolbox to, to be able to do that. But you know, if you're in a wet environment, you can actually use cover crops to use more water to help you um, get rid of that water in a wet season. So it's they're very uh, versatile and very diverse, and, and that system really works well everywhere. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools, and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Getter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at getterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. And now back to the podcast. So how many years have you tried planting green? 
you know, we, we probably planted three, three times green, uh, over the last 10 years. Um, you know, to start with, we were very hesitant, so we didn't try it in the early years. Uh, but then we got more aggressive and if we got, we got a couple of irrigation systems, we can do that very easily under them where we have plenty of water. Okay. So talk a little bit about your, your crop rotation. You mentioned um, that you alternate cover crops and cash crops. What does that crop rotation look like on a year to year basis? You know, it, it depends. Uh, we don't have a, a actual set rotation. Um, we kind of let mother nature help us decide a little of that. Uh, and we've, we've grown up to 14 different crops nowadays. And so, uh, we kind of wait and see what mother nature is going to provide in, in moisture. And then we know what we got to work with in our profile. And uh, then we can kind of go to selecting, uh, what to plant. And, uh, you know, if we have a window, we look how long till frost date, and then we try to fix uh, a crop to match those dates in there. So it's that's a tricky question. Uh, I know a lot of guys like a set rotation, but you know Mother Nature is never set, and and you know over the last few years we're we're experiencing this wild swings in weather, and a, a lot of meteorologists and climatologists are using whiplash weather. Uh, and so that's where you could be uh, pretty wet and then go into a flash drought pretty quickly, you know, maybe go to a flash flood from there uh, into a long-term drought. So balancing that, that mother nature, you really have to kind of watch and, and roll with the flow with her and, and be more open to changing that rotation instead of locked in. Okay. What would be some examples of crops that you have included in your rotation before? So we we raise winter wheat, we raise rye, cereal rye, uh, winter barley, spring barley, uh, grain sorghum, canola, sesame. We've done corn a couple of years, soybeans, cowpeas, uh, spring oats, black oats, mung beans sunflower uh so there's a lot of things that we can grow and once you get your soil healthy and into the system uh like we are you know nine ten years uh that allows you to be more diverse and do things that uh, and grow crops that maybe not typically in your area um uh, and in markets i mean that's that's one of the key things is looking for the markets that people want to buy instead of growing uh, a commodity that's in little demand or, uh, you know, where we've overgrown sometimes corn and soybeans and wheat and we have depressed prices. I'm looking for other markets uh, instead of growing the standard. So it's a, that's a challenging question, but, uh, once again, you've got to be open and very diverse and willing to step out of the box and look for them markets outside of the traditional commodity markets. Sure. So are there any new crops that you are looking at right now and 
maybe considering working into that rotation in the future? You know, we've grown sesame the last three years and that that's fit very well for us. Uh, we put corn in under the pivots as a double crop uh, where we raise cereal rye and then we'll double crop corn planting that in uh, July uh, and harvesting it late in the fall. Uh, with our heat and time period here, we plant corn like traditional corn. We have a lot of trouble with aflatoxin and heat pollinating. So that worked very well in a double crop situation for us uh, and, and as a carbon crop as well, putting more carbon in the soil. So, yeah, we're always looking. We've, we've raised a winter barley probably three years, two, three years now as well. So we're always looking for that, that new crop. Uh, we've raised sunflowers probably been about two years ago since the last sunflower crop. Uh, but it, it fits in the rotation. We've looked at cotton a little bit, but it's such a long growing season. Uh, we seem to think we can grow two crops while we can grow one cotton crop. And, and we don't have the equipment for cotton. And so we've tried to stay with a combine or a cow to, to harvest. So uh, that, that kind of fits our situation better. Okay. Do you apply any fertilizer to your cover crops or cash crops? Yeah, we, we've really cut back on the synthetic fertilizer. We're probably about 80% of what we used to be. Uh, but if we do put on uh, synthetic fertilizers, the nitrogen or anything like that, and we haven't used phosphorus probably now in four years, uh, we'll, we'll put a, a carbon source with that like a humate, humic acid uh, to help the biology and to break that down and to make it more efficient. This, this last year, we've been liquefying urea and using humics and molasses and some sulfur and, and some compost tea extracts. Uh, and it's really helped our efficiency of our nitrogen fertilizer. We, we think we went from about a 40% efficiency to maybe 80, 85 uh, with that type of scenario. So uh, that way we can use less and, and get a bigger benefit out of it. So that's been a, a really good move for us. Okay. So then how do you go about applying that fertilizer? So that'll all be in liquid form. And, and so we'll spray that over the top as a foliar application with the sprayer and and then we'll we'll also seed or treat with a with a compost tea or a vermicost with humix and, and molasses as well to to feed the biology right around the seed as that plant starts to germinate and emerge and it, it that has really been beneficial too. So we've we've been doing a lot of experimenting over the last three years uh, with, with some of this new technology. It sounds like it. Um, how do you go about deciding uh, which fertilizer to apply and where and when that should be applied? So we, we use uh, the Haney test with Rick Haney uh, some. Uh, we also use uh, strips to tell where we're at and we'll put on, you know, cut back 25% or 50% side by side or 75%. Uh, and see where we're at and see how much we 
we think we need. And then we'll follow up and do some testing. And then, like I said, we've, we've pretty well went all in the liquid form, even our dries, like I said, liquefied. We, we think we have a better uh, success rate and efficiency rate with that. Uh, but it, that always presents some challenges in weather. We're, we're really cold right now, and, it, and it's hard to do that in cold weather unless you're set up where you can heat things up. And uh, we, we've done that. We built some equipment. Uh, we're still learning, but that's some of the things that we try to use is, is our site, eyesight, side-by-side uh, -side comparisons, and then soil test. Okay. Talk a little bit about um, how you go about grazing your cattle. Um, do you rotate, rotate between paddocks and um, how often do you rotate and what size are the paddocks? So, um, and that's one thing about uh, multiple paddock grazing or amp grazing. Uh, it, it's very, uh, it's very easy to adapt on the go. Uh, if we're really wanting to improve a place, whether it be native range or our cover crop field, uh, daily moves is is really good for that. Uh, you know, if we're if we're time constrained. Uh, you know, maybe two days or three days. Um, and once again, it, it, you really need set goals and, and, and have an idea of what you want out of that. Uh, we use a lot of poly wire, uh, and, and I've got a rig uh, fixed up on a four-wheeler with step-in post. So we can, you know, put out a, a half-mile wire and, and pick another half-mile up in 20, 25 minutes. Uh, so it's pretty efficient. Now, um, and we figured out some water. Not, not every field has water in it, so we haul water some, and we've made some portable uh, troughs and systems where that's easier to do. Um, so it's that's what I really like about this amp grazing. It's 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 very adaptable, and and uh, you're not locked in, uh, so you can kind of adjust on the go. Okay. So do you graze all of your cow-calf operation, all of the animals on cover crops or just certain ages or groups? Well, it, it, it depends. Uh, we, we probably haven't run all our cows on a cover crop in, in a year, uh, but maybe one. Uh, we, we utilize uh, a lot of forage warm season crops with cows, calves, when we're getting dry in the native range, uh, we'll, we'll graze them and wean the calves there to give the native a break and give them cows and calves a boost from cover crops. Um, but we probably every cover crop we plant gets grazed either when it's green or frosted out. We, we've grazed a lot of frosted out covers this fall and winter with our yearling calves and, and some cows as well. Um, so it's, um, once again, we're not just locked into everything. It's kind of where we need it, when we need it. Uh, and we, we're fortunate to have a lot of fields next to where we have cows on range. And so it's easy to, to move them in and, and graze where we need to be. And, 
and uh, set up paddocks and we're flexible that way. So uh, that, that really works great for us. All right. Um, last question for you. Talk about uh, the benefits you've seen to soil health um, and then also animal performance and animal health um, based on grazing those cover crops. Sure. So we've really improved our soil over the last nine, 10 years. Uh, our water infiltration rate has went from a half inch an hour to uh, seven to 10 inches an hour, depending on where you want to measure it and how you measure it. Uh, so that tells us that our aggregate size of our soil has grown, our carbon uh, has grown as well, our water holding capacity has, has grown. So that really helps us uh, see the great benefits, lots of earthworms, the biological world is a lot more active now. Uh, and then while we're grazing, we really noticed that animal health has really uh, turned around. Uh, I mentioned weaning calves on cover crops uh, out in the field. We just may pull the cows out and leave the, the calves there. Uh, we have hardly no uh, sickness when we do that. Our vet bill has, has went almost to zero on, in them type of situations. So we know that when our soil gets healthy, our plants are more healthy. When our plants are more healthy, our animals are more healthy. And, uh, you know, if we consume the plants ourselves or the cattle do, then we know that, that our health is going to be uh, better in the long run down the road as well. So, you know, a healthy system just, just makes healthy plants, healthy animals, healthy humans as well. Great. Well, Jimmy, we are out of time for today. Thanks so much for joining us on the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. Well, thank you a lot. And I really appreciate the invitation and call me anytime. Sure. So for those of you listening, be sure to look for more information about our upcoming National Cover Crop Summit, where Jimmy will be one of our featured speakers as a grower. Once again, I want to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. For more information about the Cover Crop Summit, visit www.covercropsummit.com or visit Cover Crop Strategies online at covercropstrategies.com.